0: We are starting a brand new series this morning, just for the next three weeks as we're in the month of November, and it's called Today and Tomorrow. And it's really about the generations, okay? It's about uh, our generation, whatever generation that you're a part of uh, today, and it's about our investment and our our building into the generation of tomorrow. Uh, And and so uh, I want you to, as we start, background, okay? Going back to when you are a kid and growing up, maybe uh, your experience with church was that you you grew up going to church with your family. Maybe your parents drug you to church, right? Um, maybe you didn't have any experience. Or maybe you came to church to God later in life. Uh, but I want you to think about kind of your, your growing up years. Because your faith experience as a kid, for good or for ill, shaped you and I in a lot of ways, right? And so my story, if you, if you know my story, I didn't grow up as a church kid. I didn't grow up in the church. In fact, I came to Christ and the church later in my high school years, uh, I'm a product, product of a youth ministry, okay, which was, was uh, teenagers and youth leaders who reached out and, and shared the gospel with me and changed my life. And so I'm a product of a youth ministry. Fast forward a couple years, and when I was growing in my faith and I began to do more than just show up to church and attend church, I began to serve, the first area that I ever served in the church was in youth ministry. Okay, and was, was investing in uh, junior high, middle school uh, kids. Fast forward a few more years, and uh, my, first, my first vocational ministry job, okay, my first role as a pastor in a church was serving as a youth pastor, okay, and, and serving students. And, and come to think of it, this role that I'm in right now is the first uh, vocational ministry, pastoral role in youth ministry. Um, and so I've been involved with youth, youth ministry for a lot of years, um, I, I'm also a dad, okay? I have two teenage boys, a 12-year-old boy who might as well be a teenager, right? He's a preteen, and then I have a six-year-old daughter who is going on 16, and she has the attitude of a teenager. You know what I'm saying? She is a little diva, okay? Um, and so I say all of that to say that I'm not an expert when it comes to to youth and the young people. I'm just really experienced, okay? So for some of you, the way you would relate to this is, you may not be a culinary expert, you have a lot of experience eating, right? Um, and that's kinda how I am, I've, I've got experience working with kids and students, uh, but I am no expert, okay? But I've, I see the potential, and I, I see so much potential in, in what we would call the next generation, okay? In church world we refer to the next generation, most of the time that refers to kids, uh, teenagers, and it even moves into what we would refer to as like the young adult stage or 18 to 29, okay? Um, some of you are long past that stage, but you know what I'm talking about, all right? Um, we talk about the next generation. And if you think about it, if you actually look at our culture, think about, about our culture and how it, it markets primarily to, to the young, to the next generation. Like the only advertising that we really see that's, that's targeting older folks is pharmaceuticals. Like you need this medication because your body is falling apart, <laughs> all right? Side effects may include everything leading up to and including death, all right? But we'll do whatever it takes to stay alive. But everything, almost like everything, markets towards the young and towards the next generation. You think about in the church, and it's been said, I don't have a statistic for you, but historically, most individuals that come to a faith in Christ, or that make a profession of faith in Christ, do so at a young age, before the age of 18, historically. That doesn't mean that, that older folks don't, but, but historically, most the majority of people who come to faith in Jesus do so when they're younger. Now why is that? Like why does culture target Youth. Why do more young people come to faith in Christ rather than those who are older? If you thought about for a minute, maybe you've never thought about this, but if you thought about for a few seconds, you would probably come to the same conclusion that I come to. It's because young hearts are impressionable, right? Young hearts are impressionable. They're open. They're receptive. They're they're moldable. Okay. Um, they, and and I say mold what, like moldy, (laughs) you know what I'm talking, have you ever seen like food when it gets moldy and it gets a little, it gets a little funky and it starts turning blue and I'm just, uh, sorry if you're, we'll all start, our hair will start turning white and then blue and all that stuff. Okay, so like, I'm talking about like, as we get older, the tendency is that our hearts get more closed off and more cold and calloused and, 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 get set in our ways, right? So listen, I get it. If you're a part of an older generation, it is, it is so easy to get down on the next generation behind you because they're not like you, right? It's easy to go, well, they don't do this like we do. They don't think this way. They, they, their mindset is totally different. So it's easy to get down on the next generation. I would say this also. It's easy to grieve for the next generation, I mean, I don't know if, if, if you're over the age of 30 or 40, maybe you're like me, where sometimes I grieve for my kids because I go, man, I'm so thankful I don't have to deal with the pressures that my kids have to deal with these days. The opportunities are so much greater than I had, but the pressures are so much stronger and greater as well. And so it's easy to grieve for the next generation, too, because of the culture they live in. It's also easy to be indifferent about the next generation because... I've already done my time, right? I'm past that, I don't have different because you're not in that next generation any longer. So listen, here, here is the idea behind this series today and tomorrow. It is meant to challenge our indifference towards the next generation. It is meant to stir up um, our indifference and to help us to realize the incredible role that we can play in raising up the next generation. Okay, that is what this this series is all about, because the next generation matters. The next generation matters so much to God, and the mission of God is, it it matters. They matter for the the mission of God in our world. And so they should matter to us as people and as, as a church. And so as we kind of kick off this series, I want to give you three kind of big ideas about the way Jesus looked at the next generation, Okay. And so let me give you this first, this first thought. And let me say this as we start. Whatever generation you're part of, okay, from the youngest to the oldest, this, this applies to all of us, okay? And so I want you to hang with me. A few thoughts from, about Jesus and the way he viewed the next generation. The first thought is this Jesus placed great value on the next generation. In a time, in the, in the Bible times, in Jesus' day, Women and children were not always looked upon fondly. It was they were kind of looked down upon or kind of second class citizens, but that was not the way high value on the next generation. I want you to see Matthew 18. When Jesus' followers or his disciples came to him, they said, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Okay, they were wanting Jesus to prop them up and, and give them kudos for their faithfulness and all of that. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And and Jesus kind of flip this thing around and he said in verse two, calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and he said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like what? Like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so he props up kids and says, man, if you're ever going to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you've got to become like a, like a child. You've got, to, you've got to humble yourself and open your heart just like a, a child would. And so Jesus places incredible value on, on the next generation. Luke chapter 18, a similar kind of thought here. It says in verse 15, Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw that they rebuked him. In other words, they were like, Jesus, don't waste your time. These are just, these are just kids. We've got more more important stuff to do here. And Jesus responded, but Jesus called to them saying, let the children come to me and do not, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And so there's this value that Jesus places on, on children, on kids, on the next generation, okay? But I want to see something else, that Jesus invested heavily in the next generation, Okay, if, you, if you don't know Jesus' story, the story of his life, Jesus was God in the flesh. God came to this earth in the form of, of, of a baby, and he grew up just like a normal uh, human being would. When he turned 30, he entered his public ministry, okay? and for three years, those next three years, his last three years of his life, he invested in 12 men in particular. Okay, We call those his disciples, all right, those who would follow him. And we don't often think about this, but sometimes when we think about those, those 12 disciples, those men he poured his life into, we think, oh man, they must have been you know, 30, 35-year-old, mature men, and the reality is they weren't. They were young men. In fact, they were probably most likely teenagers, or maybe in their 20s, maybe in their early 20s. They were part of the next generation, okay? when Jesus was deciding how he was gonna invest the last three years of his life, his whole public ministry, the bulk of his, his focus was on, and this is a big deal, the, the God of the universe, the son of man came and he said, I'm gonna invest my life in the next generation, in the next generation, and, and, and following that thought, here's the third thing about Jesus. Jesus entrusted his global mission to, to this group. He entrusted his, his global mission. So listen, here was the mission of, of Jesus, to bring the good news that, that there, is, there is a way to God that doesn't involve us doing religious things or good things or being a good person or our good outweighing our bad. Uh, the reality is we are sinners, that is the bad news, and there's nothing we can do to make our way to God. The good news that Jesus was bringing, that God has come to us and he has brought redemption and rescue through his sacrifice. And Jesus' mission was, hey, take this good news to all the world. Preach this good news and make disciples in all the world. You know who Jesus entrusted this mission to? Twelve young men. Literally left the fate of the world in the hands of 12 teenagers. And some of us are like, oh my goodness, are you serious? Really, did Jesus know what he was doing? Like, I, some of us, it's, I mean, it's hard for us. And here is Jesus saying, I'm leaving the fate of the world, fellas, in your hands. The mission, the good news that will change everything, I'm entrusting it to you, to take it into all the world. Man. If we ever doubted Jesus' opinion and his, his thoughts about the next generation, surely this tells us, man, he placed incredible value on him. He placed incredible value on the next generation. John 14, Jesus says this to his disciples, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, "'whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do.'" Okay, he's, he's told his disciples, he's getting ready to go to the cross. He says, "'In greater works than these, will he do because I am going to the Father. In other words, what he's saying is, I'm getting ready to go to the Father and this incredible work, this mission, that I've, I've, this work that I've been doing, I'm now passing it along to you. And guess what? You're gonna do greater works than even I have done. You're gonna do more. You're gonna have more of an impact on the world than I have had. And again, he's speaking to these young men. Matthew 28, we all know this, this great commission. It's when Jesus died on the cross, rose again, he reassembled his, his disciples and said, here's, here's the mission for you, okay? Here is, is what you're called to do. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given. Therefore, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm passing this on to you. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the mission that would apply to all followers of Jesus. But I want you to, again, think of the context, okay? This isn't Jesus in that moment speaking to all of us and all followers of Jesus down through the ages. This was at the start of of after he left the earth, and he's leaving his mission to continue on for generation after generation. And again, he leaves it in the hands of 12 young people. This is a big deal. The reason that you and I, those of us that know Jesus and have a relationship with God, the reason that we have that faith is because 12 young men were entrusted with the gospel and were faithful to pass it down and to pass it down and to pass it down until it reached you and I. And so Jesus, there's this this pattern that he leads us, that the mission of God must be passed down from generation to generation to generation. This is what Jesus sets this pattern up. But, but we see even, even before this in the Old Testament, I want, I want you to see Psalm 145, verse 4. This is kind of the theme verse. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. One generation, in other translations say, shall praise or declare your works to another or to the next and shall declare your mighty acts. So you see what the psalmist is saying here? That one generation okay, is going to see and experience the, the mighty work of God. They're going to see and experience. And then what generation number one is going to do is they are going to declare or commend or pass along to the next generation the mighty works of God. And then generation two is going to hear and they're going to see and experience the mighty work of God. And then what are they going to do? They're going to commend it to the next right they're gonna pass it along to the next generation okay so so let's talk about generations for a second uh i don't know if you ever heard of the barna group okay the barna group is a group that does specializes in research okay they do polls and surveys and and they interview um folks and uh have they have some really impactful um research that they do and a lot of what they do is regarding faith in in the next generation and uh this is how they define, define generations, so go ahead and stick this up on the screen here. I want you to find your place in the generations, okay? So, generation 89 to 2015, okay? Um, these are the kids and teenagers of our day right now. Um, millennials are, are those who are born 1984 to 1998, okay? Um, millennials has been the talk for so long and like, Millennials are getting old, y'all. <laughs> um, that's they're they're no longer the young pups. Uh, Generation X, okay, born 1965 to 1983. Um, then you have the Boomers, uh, born 1946 to 1964 and then elders, anyone born prior to 46, okay? And, and so I wanna talk for a second about the generations because it's even, even on social media, if you follow anything, one of the big memes and all the, like the, one of the phrases you hear these days are, okay, boomer, and it's like this whole thing about like Gen Z millennials that are kinda of like whatever, you old people that are down on us. And so that's kind of, maybe you're not tracking with me unless you're in Gen Z. Um, but here's the deal. We all fit into one of these categories, right? I don't think there's any, I don't know what beyond Gen Z is, um, anyone that's been born since then, but they're not in the room, so we're not gonna worry about them, all right? Um, but we all fit into one of these generations, okay? And I wanna do just a little, a little exercise here, okay? And feel free to uh, not participate if you don't wanna share your age, all right? Um, but I wanna, I wanna see, kinda see where we land in this. And so what I wanna have us do is this. Would you do me a favor and just stand up for a second? just stand up, okay? Uh, Hey, it's all right. Be loud and proud, all right? (laughs) Uh, Here's what I want you to do as as elders and boomers. I want you to make a declaration, and I want you to say, great is the Lord. Could you do that? Three, two, one. Amen. Thank you. Okay, why don't you have a seat? Um, Those of you that are part of Gen X, why don't you stand? I am among you, all right? Uh, All right, so we've got, okay, we're we're spreading out here so we got uh gen x i want you to make a declaration okay um the lord is good would you say it with me three two one the lord is good all right amen sit down why don't you have a seat okay if you are a millennial could you stand up with me all right millennials man oh man okay i love it i love it i want you to make a declaration and and i think i changed up my declaration but we're going to do great as the lord okay three two one Great is the Lord. Amen. All right. You can have a seat. Um, okay. Do we have any Gen Zers in the house? All right. Why don't you stand? A handful of you. Okay. There you go. There we go. There we go. All right. Well, good. We are spread out all across the spectrum. All right. Great is the Lord. Can you make this declaration with me? Three, two, one. Great is the Lord. All right. Not as loud as the older ones. All right. <laughs> the old vocal cords are still developing. Okay. So it's good. So this is, this was just a silly kind of experiment or experience in church, but I want us to get the visual. None of us are exempt. The idea is that whatever generation you're part of, one generation shall commend God's works to the next. Okay, so even if you're part of Gen Z, there's a generation coming up after you that you get the opportunity to experience and see the mighty work of God, and then as they are coming up behind you for you to be able to commend God's works to that next generation. And this is how the gospel, this is how our faith goes from generation to generation to generation. It's, it's, it's about our faithfulness to do what God has called us to do and, and declare that. So would you go back to Psalm 145 verse 4? Uh, I want you to, to read this with me, okay? So let's, let's read this together. Three, two, one. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Every generation has this opportunity and this privilege. Let me, let me talk about this verse for a second, though, because what this does not mean, okay, what this does not mean is that one generation can inherit the faith of the previous generation, Okay. No generation or no follower of Jesus inherits their faith from another. Let, let me say it this way. Maybe you've heard this phrase. God has no grandchildren. Okay? God has no grandchildren. In other words, aunt, sons or daughters of God because of a personal faith that we have in Jesus. We, we don't get grandfathered in because you grew up or live in a home where your parents have a faith in Jesus doesn't mean that you have a faith in Jesus. Just because your grandparents love the Lord doesn't mean you inherited that. Every single one of us has to come into a personal relationship with God. We put our faith and our trust in Jesus and we become sons and daughters. And so God doesn't have grandchildren, he only has kids and we all become kids by faith in Christ. So this does not mean that one generation inherits their faith from the previous, but what it does mean is that one generation gets to influence the faith of the next. We get to influence the faith of the next generation. We can influence, and here's the reality, and you know this if you've grown up at all, you see that the older always has influence over the younger, right? I mean, it's just the way that things work. A freshman is always going to look up to or um, or think highly, more highly of a senior. Okay, that's just the way it's it's going to work. If the older, especially if the older takes interest in and cares for the young, really even have to do anything to influence people. You just have to be older, right? Because there's always somebody younger that is kind of looking to you, no matter how young or old you are. And so, just being older. Like, cracks open the door. Now, you have to actually step through the door and make an investment and care about and pour into and build into. But just being older gives you an opportunity. But, but I would say it this way. It's more than an opportunity. I would say it's, it's an obligation. Here, here's the way I'm, I'm going to say it this, this morning. We have an obligation to the next generation to possess and pass along a true living faith in Christ. We have an obligation, whatever generation you're part of, we have an obligation to the next generation to possess and to pass along a true living faith in Christ. Let me take a minute to kind of unpack this. I typically don't like the word obligation, right? Do you, I mean, it usually means like, it's, it's a duty, it's a have to, I don't wanna, but I have to. It's an obligation. But I think this, this word is, is incredibly uh, appropriate for this because we do have a, a duty. We do have a responsibility to those who are coming behind us to, to do whatever we can to provoke a responsibility, to do whatever we can to provoke faith in the generation coming up behind us. Because if we don't, who will? Listen, our kids and the next generation, they are being discipled. Whether we are doing it or not, the world and our culture is making disciples of our kids and the next generation. They are. We have the opportunity to invest and to provoke faith in them. That is our obligation. It's not the responsibility of of the organized church or somebody else. It's all of our responsibility to pass on, to possess and to pass on faith a true living faith in Christ to the next generation now there's a couple reasons I think that we we don't do this I mean the next generation whatever generation you're a part of the next generation needs Christ that is the reality but there's a reason that that, that sometimes we don't pass it along okay so there's two things one either we don't have it ourselves or two we hold on to it for ourselves We don't have it ourselves or we hold on to it for ourselves. Let me talk about this, Um, because here is the reality. We cannot pass along, let me give you a real life example, and I'm gonna use my family again. Um, My kids, there will come a day when I will will pass off the scene, I will go to be with the Lord, and if my kids are expecting, let me use that inheritance metaphor again, okay? if my kids are expecting a large inheritance, they will be sorely disappointed, okay? <laughs> that is the reality because, and, and my kids are like, bummer, <laughs> all right, uh, they know this. I am a pastor. I don't get into this line of work uh, for the big bucks, all right? And so um, gold and riches have I none, all right? Um, but, but here is, is the deal. I cannot pass along to them something that I do not personally possess, Plain and simple, that's the reality of it, right? We get that in a physical sense. I can't pass on something that I don't don't own, that I don't have. Listen, here is is the the reality that we all need to face. For many in the church, one of the reasons we don't pass along a true living faith in Christ is because we don't personally possess it. And I say that with grief in my heart. (laughs) Because as a leader in the church and as as folks who call ourselves Christians, there are, and you know this, there are so many folks, and maybe you're, you're one of them, that attend church, that you've called yourself a Christian for years because this was the way I was raised. I was raised with this habit, and it's what we would call cultural Christianity, which is incredibly prevalent in the Bible Belt, the South, right, across America, for goodness sakes, that we, are, we, we, our belief is that because I'm good and I do good things and I go to church, I'm going to heaven. And God, you know, has a place for me. And we hear it kind of distorted in country music and, and we do all these things that make us feel like we're Christian and yet we don't actually possess a true living faith in Christ. We just do Christianly things. And that's a cultural thing. And listen. It would be negligent of me as a pastor to just go, oh, you're in church, so you must be a Christian. Listen, I know the reality of things, and you may be here, and your heart may not belong to Jesus. And you've been doing this thing for years, but you've never entered into a true living relationship with God yourself. You've been living off the faith of your parents or grandparents. And so the challenge this morning is is this, to ask yourself yourself, I wanna ask you this morning, do you possess a true living faith in Christ? Not just do you believe, are you in Christ? Have you given him your whole life and surrendered yourself to him? Do you possess a true living faith in Christ? That is the question. This, this Barna group, um, they, they were involved in, in writing this book um, that I would highly recommend, I just got done reading it last week, called Faith for Exiles, okay? And, and the subtitle is Five Ways for a New Generation to Follow Jesus in Digital Babylon, okay? It's a whole new culture, it's a very digitally focused culture, and so um, what happened was Barna did some research over the last 10 years and really beyond that, um, just looking at the faith or lack of faith in the ne- next generation, okay? There's been previous books written about why have uh, the next generation left the church. This book is more about what has caused those who have stuck, what's caused them to stay resilient in their faith. And so I would recommend this if you're a parent, if you work with um, kids, students, um, if you just care about the next generation and want to learn more. um, This is an incredible book, Faith for Exiles, based on a lot of research, interviews, um, talking with the next generation. Um, But one of the things they did in this book well, they were trying to define what is a resilient disciple, someone who's in the age range of 13 to 30 or 29 who, who are resilient in their faith and following after Jesus. And so there was kind of one of the initial surveys they did this. Or are they a, a habitual churchgoer? Um, or are they somebody who grew up going to church but has left? Uh, where are they at? There was four kind of statements that were made. And I, I want you to, these are on your notes or in your, your Bible app, I want you to think through these four questions, because maybe this can help you as well. So there's four statements, strongly disagree, disagree, agree, or strongly agree. I want you to kind of evaluate, maybe not even in this moment, but maybe later on, um, how you would answer these, these statements, if you would agree or disagree, or strongly on one end or the other, okay? And this is meant to be a personal examination. Do you possess a true living faith? So the first question is this. Or first statement, I should say, is I believe living in relationship with Jesus is the only way to find fulfillment in life. Agree or disagree, okay? Second statement is this. <clears throat> My relationship with Jesus brings me deep joy and satisfaction, okay? And this, this, this is, I'm not asking you to fill this out. I'm not asking you to turn this in. This is just for a personal examination, okay? Okay. Um, The next, the third statement is this, following Jesus shapes my whole life, body, mind, heart, and soul. Following him shapes my whole life. And the fourth statement is this, my relationship with Jesus impacts the way I live my life every day. Different points in my faith journey, my relationship with God, I would answer those differently, okay? Um, Whether I would agree, disagree, I mean, not based on like aspirational, like I want it to be this way, but really, Where am I on these? Do I really live in this way? Is this what I agree with these things? Again, I just give these to you because I want to make sure every one of us is examining our faith and go, do I I possess a true living faith in Christ? Or am I just doing the church thing? Am I just being a cultural Christian because it's what you do in the Bible Belt? One of the reasons we don't pass on our faith is because we don't possess it. We don't have it. We're not actually living out this true, living, vibrant faith. And so how are we going to pass that along? Okay. Another reason we don't uh, always pass it along is because uh, we hold on to it. We just we hold on to it for ourselves. So, so let, me, let me take just a second to, to say this. Um, because maybe you are in this room and you would say, um, based on, on this, this survey, thinking about your own life, and maybe you would say, you know, I, I, I don't own that. I don't have a real relationship with God. And maybe you have questions, you are working through that, and hey, that is okay, you are in a safe place to be. have a living, a true living personal faith, a relationship with God that is my own. I've never actually surrendered my life to God and entered into that relationship. So no, I don't have something to pass along. But maybe you would say this morning, man, I'm interested. I, I want that. I want, I want to point you to a, a passage, Romans 10, verse 9 through 13. Paul says this in Romans 10. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses. is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And here is the good news of the gospel, y'all, is that you don't have to be good enough. You don't have to attend church a certain number of weeks per year. You don't have to put so much in the offering plate to be accepted and loved by God. It is the free gift of God to you and to me. You don't have to be good enough because Jesus came and he lived a perfect, sinless life and he was good enough. He lived the life in our place that we should have lived from God and he rose again in victory over sin and death and hell and he offers us forgiveness and he offers us grace that none of us could achieve on our own. And everyone who calls on his name, that believes in our heart and calls on his name, he says, man, I will accept you and I will lavish my love upon you. You can be my son and you can be my daughter. Not because of what your parents have done or your grandparents or your, your pastors or leaders, and because of what Jesus has done for you and you putting your faith in him alone. And so listen, you can possess a true and living faith this morning by humbling yourself before God and giving him your life. But listen, y'all, if you have that, if I have that, we cannot hold on to it. In in, in our minds, as as human beings, we look at this gift mentality as I've been given a gift so that I can enjoy it, so that I can... um, draw pleasure out of it, enjoy it for myself. And in God's economy, a gift is given so that we can enjoy it and then to pass it along and to give it away. And, and I want you to see in Acts chapter three, I love this, Peter in the early church, in these early days after Jesus left the scene, he left these young beggar, this lame man who was a beggar and he's, he's looking for handouts and, and Peter says to, to this beggar, he says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, I don't have gold and silver. Okay, this is kind of like how my will is gonna read to my kids. Hey, I don't have all that, y'all. <laughs> but here's what I have. I have Jesus. And I wanna give you what I have. Listen, this is the responsibility for all of us. If you have it, you've gotta give it away. If you have it, you have to give it Away. And Peter says, I don't have all that stuff, but I want to give it away. Listen, for some of us, the reason we don't invest in in the next generation is because we're like, well, I don't have a theology degree. I don't know my Bible inside and out. I'm just not qualified. No, no, no. Listen, if you have Jesus, you have what you need to give away. Amen? Peter says, listen, I don't have all that stuff, y'all. I have Jesus. And what I have. I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna to give to you. And so what is our obligation to the next generation? It's to possess, to personally possess, and to pass along a true living faith. And the last thing I wanna share with you, Psalm 71. I love this, This again, another passage in the Psalms. The psalmist says this in Psalm 71, verses 17 and 18. He says, O oh God, from my youth, you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. And, and here's his prayer. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until, until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Like, do you get what the psalmist is saying here? He's saying, God, don't forsake me. Even when I grow old, even when my hair goes gray, like, man, keep me strong, keep me alive. Why? Not so I can just grow old and be happy and enjoy life. No, no, no. Don't forsake me until I have the opportunity to proclaim your power and your goodness to those who come after me. God, I want it to be said of me, that I've used my life, not just to enjoy your goodness, but to pass along that faith to the next generation. And so my challenge this morning is this, do you possess, if you don't, man, God's grace is free and he invites you this morning to come and receive it freely from him. Maybe you do possess that kind of a faith and you're trying to figure out how to pass that along. Can I just say this as a church? We have an incredible opportunity in our own house, y'all, to serve and to pass along and invest in the next generation. I mean, I'm telling you, Saturday nights, maybe you have not even been on a Saturday night, 40% almost of, of the, the, the folks who show up on a Saturday night here are young people, are kids. And we have the lowest number of people serving of any of our services on a Saturday night. And we have almost half of our attendance on a Saturday night is kids we have an opportunity to serve them on Sunday mornings in each of our areas we have an opportunity to serve them and invest in them well I don't know and I know that's intimidating where you go I don't know I've never worked with kids and I'm not that great listen if you have Jesus you have what you need on Wednesday nights I'm telling you we have over 100 teenagers and preteens who come through this building every week and I'm telling you so many of them have no godly examples in their life other than the people they see when they come in this this place and on this property we have an opportunity to serve them and invest in them and to build into them and there's going to be more opportunities as we move into 2020 to be or to continue to be a church that pours into the next generation that doesn't get down on them because they're young that doesn't just grieve because and the culture is different than in our good old days, or that is indifferent about them, but man, we're a church that loves and pours into the next generation for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of God's glory, for the sake of his mission. And so would you pray with me this morning? Father, this, this, this morning we are grateful that you are a God who loves us, God when we are young. When we are immature, God, as we grow older, as we're still immature and growing and learning, God, you are a God who is patient with us. You are a God who extends grace to us. You are a God who sees and believes the best in us. You are a God who has great plans and purposes for us. Young and old alike, God, your desire is to give us a faith that is real, that is lasting, that is vibrant. A love and a relationship that is daily characterized by walking with Jesus. Possess that, but to pass it along because the next generation needs you. You are the hope of the world. And God, we want to be a church and we want to be people who pass that along to them. God, even as we grow old and even as our hairs grow gray, God, you have a purpose for us to, to declare, to commend your works to the next generation. And so God, would you use us to do that? For your glory's sake, for our good, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.